was asked before David comes and preaches to read this text from 2 Peter chapter 1. This is verses 3 through 15, and the word of God says this. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. We will be in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 15. Um, last week we started the book uh, in the first couple of verses. Kind of overlapped a little bit of what we're talking about today. And so as we look at these verses, we see that Peter's reminding us of, and the church of his day, that there's some necessary truths that ensure or assure us of our calling and our election, that we would be steadfast in our faith and in our salvation, and that we would be effective and fruitful in light of God's glory and his excellence. And this is rooted in the knowledge of God, in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so as we look at these verses, his glory and his excellence and his goodness are fully demonstrated in the gospel, in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And that is the foundation that Peter is establishing for us to remind us that he is reminding the church to remember and to hold fast to. And it's what we're going to be reminded of here in a few minutes when we take the Lord's Supper together. That God has saved us, that he has done it. That he has saved us from his wrath, which we've earned in our rebellion. That he has saved us to his glory 
and his excellence. So in verse 3, Peter writes, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. God has saved us by his power, by his effort, and by his work from eternal death, from wrath, from condemnation into eternal life and an abundant life. And by that same power, he has given us everything that we need to walk in that abundant life, to live in that life, a life that is sanctified, holy, and set apart to God, as Peter specifically talks about pertaining to life and to godliness. That this truth is so transformational that we are transformed in mind, body, and spirit, right? The way that we think, the motivations, our feelings, and specifically what we do with those things, how we act, how we speak, how we engage with God, and how we engage the world around us. And that is transformed by the knowledge of God, of knowing him, not just an accumulation of facts, but knowing him, experiencing him. And this belief And what he has said in his word, in his truth, in his promises is what transforms our hearts and our minds. This is the essence of faith, that you believe God, that you trust him and what he has said. And it is out of his glory and out of his excellence, his glory, his majesty, his greatness, and his excellence, his goodness, his moral excellence. Another word that will be translated a little bit later as virtue. These are the same word, and it's out of those characteristics of God, his glory and his excellence, that he's granted us those precious and great gifts, those precious and great promises, and he's done that through the revelation of Jesus, of himself in Jesus, God in the flesh. In Jesus, he's given us access to and secured those promises for us as he's removed the wrath his wrath from us in Christ's fulfillment of the law. In his death and in his resurrection, he has redeemed us. He bought you. He purchased you. You belong to him. Not only that, he's reconciled us to himself. Jesus calls us friends, not enemies, no longer at war with God, but he has granted us, as we talked about last week, that peace with God. He adopts us into his family as sons and daughters in Christ. So this is the root. This is the source of the abundant life, the eternal life. As we are progressively sanctified, transformed during our life, as we walk with Jesus, as we walk with God in our life. And that's done in the context of the church. And as we look at the virtues as the characteristics of God that he calls us to walk in, We'll see how that works itself out in the way that we live life and we live life together. Because the church is united in Christ through faith, trusting his promises, trusting his word, and knowing what he has already done for us at the cross. And because of that, we are partakers in his divine nature. 
That is the gift that he has given to us, that we are united to God in Jesus. So therefore, through Christ and in Christ, we escape the corruption of this world because of sinful desires. So corruption that leads to eternal death and separation from God. And then even moral corruption. Because our identity, our whole person is swallowed up in Christ. We no longer belong to ourselves, but we belong to him. We are his. And so by the power of the Holy Spirit, he changes us day to day as we pursue him in relationship, in cooperation with him. So we escape that corruption, that death. And I talked about we escaped the moral decay and the moral corruption that plagues us through sanctification. The Holy Spirit works in us and we grow in the knowledge and the application of that knowledge as we study the word together, as we submit our lives to it, as we pray through it in the context of the church but also in the context of the world as we engage the world. So, verse 5. For this very reason, the reason that he has saved you, he has set you apart, he has brought you in to be his family, to be his friend, that he has purchased you by his power and by his work. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, And virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. Why? He says, so that we would not be ineffective and we would not be unfruitful. And as we've read, to keep us from the corruption of the world because of sinful desire. So, because he has saved us, because he has kept us from these things and saved us to himself, it is for that very reason Peter writes, that we should make every effort according to his will to live according to his will and to his character. So my goal in stating all of that, because it sounds probably a little bit redundant from last week, because it is, is that that's the foundation that Peter is setting, that we are saved in Christ. So I hope that you hear that as he exhorts us here, encourages us here to make effort to walk in these characteristics of God. That our salvation is maintained, it is secured, it is in the power of God through faith in Jesus and through Christ we become partakers of the divine nature. But here as we move into verses 5 through 7, Peter is echoing the call of God to our lives, reminding us that we are called to his glory and to his excellence participation in that relationship with him, submitted to him, that we have received salvation through Christ, but we are also called to live in it, to walk out those elements of his glory and his excellence in our lives through sanctification, through obedience, in accordance with his goodness. 
And so this aspect of participation in the glory and the excellence of God is lived out in practically knowing God and experiencing him and growing in knowledge. And that's what Peter's advocating for, that we trust God so much so that it transforms the way that we do everything. So I'm going to go through each one of these briefly. I'll probably come back in later sermons and go a little bit more in depth on each one of them. But this is what Peter's encouraging us to live our lives, to model our lives after God in these characteristics. Virtue or moral excellence. When Peter said, out of his, or he was called, we were called to his glory and excellence, this is the same word that is used and translated as virtue here. We are supposed to imitate God in his virtue, in his moral excellence. And then we supplement that with knowledge, the knowledge of him, knowing him, being in the word of God. How can we imitate him? How can we follow him if we don't know him? And his word is what is going to inform that truth. He also calls us to be self-controlled, to live in temperance, to master one's own desires and passion, especially sensual appetites. We live in a world that is driven by our own comfort, our own passion, our own desires, we do what we want to do. And if we don't get it, it's quite disturbing and disorienting to us. But as we follow after God, we learn to control those desires. Steadfastness, that is perseverance, endurance. Not swerving from your deliberate purpose and loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and suffering, sustaining perseverance. Godliness, reverence, piety towards God, holiness, devotion and submission to God. That our lives, that everything that we do in life is submitted to and looked at through the lens of scripture, of the word of God and in his spirit. And then brotherly affection, the love of a brother or a sister, the kindness of a brother. And then love, affection, goodwill, love and benevolence. This is what the life of a Christian is supposed to look like because this is the character of God. This is who he is. So Peter exhorts us to make every effort to live this way. They're not just a list of things that we are to agree to because I think most people, if you read this list, would say, yeah, those are great things, but we are supposed to commit our lives to living them out. Dallas Willard, I've quoted this before. He's quoted as saying, Grace is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. And I think these verses, this section of the text, demonstrates that perfectly. Because it's not about earning your place, that God would love you, accept you, and bring you in. But you are to have effort, to strive, to work diligently, earnestly, that we would commit ourselves to the things of God, to his character. Not because they earn us anything, but because they are good. Because he is good. They are the expression of his nature and his character. And it is out of these character traits that he has extended his grace to us. Because he has loved and continues to love. So that's where our motivation to walk in these same ways is that God has loved us so well. It is the right response of our hearts 
to pursue, to work, to strive, to be like him in every aspect of our life. Peter writes if, in verse 8, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. Two interesting words. I think most of us want to be effective in our lives. We want to be productive. We want to be useful. And so there's a risk here. If these are not in us, then we will not be effective. And this word has the idea of being lazy, of shirking your responsibilities, not taking care of work that is your responsibility to perform. That these characteristics that we've talked about, again, change your mindset and how you function in the world. They fuel our motivations to do what is good, what is right, what is beneficial, not just for ourselves, but for those around us. That we would live out our lives as God is. The way that Jesus lived. Living out of motivations of love. So hopefully we can see how this leads to a fully productive life. Um, I think... It absolutely encompasses what we typically think of when we think of fruitful life, ministry, evangelism, discipling one another, uh, building up the church, making sure we have firm foundations in doctrine, spiritual formation and encouragement within your own family and teaching. It absolutely does, but it goes beyond that because those are foundational um, activities or pursuits that we should have. As it grows, as we grow in our knowledge and our understanding of God, it overflows into every aspect of our lives. And so I think about this in terms of what you do with your day on a daily basis. And so as you go to work, um, it's not always that you go to work because it is the funnest thing that you could think of to do that day. The world's going to tell us that when you pick a career, you need to find something that you do that that you love, you do something that you love, you find something you're passionate about and you make that your career. And there's probably some wisdom in that statement that we would not pick a job that we absolutely hate and we just show up because we have to do it. But that desire to do something that is fun or entertaining has to be submitted to many other things. It cannot be all about the amount of fun that I have in doing anything in life. I have other responsibilities, higher priorities that I'm called to. In reality, it can become very self-serving, and it can actually lead us to being unfulfilled because your motivations, your interest, the entertainment factor of things you do is going to wane because that's the way life is. You grow, you change, and so no matter what you pick, you can become unfulfilled, and I would even challenge you that if you predicate your whole life on your career, you will become unfulfilled, and lost. So Peter is explaining, he's encouraging us, encouraging us here that your motivation to do work or to do anything else is not solely on how much you enjoy it or how much it entertains you, but it always goes back to that foundational relationship that you have with God, rooted in the love of God, because we are to work diligently to follow him in all things because he has loved us. And so we love him, and we love people around us. That through our moral excellence, our pursuit to be virtuous as God is virtuous, that we would be a benefit to those around us. 
through our self-control, that we would act in ways that are not detrimental to others just so that we gain something out of it. And steadfastness and perseverance, that our life would be so tied to God that it doesn't matter that it's mundane, that my point of going into my job is not just to do the job. It's that we are glorifying the king and we are reconciling men to their maker. Our life is to be one of blessing, blessing others and glorifying God. In short, we live for God, and in so doing, we take care of one another. We take care of those around us, our community, our church, and it starts here. It's how we take care of our family. Like I said, I don't get up every day and I'm excited to go into work. There are days I'd rather stay home and hang out with my family, but there's other priorities there. Out of love for my family, I go to work so that I provide for them, that they have a place to live. And in the same way, when we go into our jobs, I'm not just seeing patients to make sure that their health is okay. I'm also a representation of Christ to them. And so then the pursuit of my life must walk in these characteristics so that I accurately display God's love to those around me. That's what we're called to. Not only that we're effective but that we're fruitful. Our lives are not to be barren and fruitless, but we are to continue to grow throughout our entire life. By the work of the Spirit in us, we're familiar with Galatians, that the fruit of the Spirit should grow in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. A lot of the same things that are in this text. So as we grow with God, in experience with Him, in knowledge of Him, Together, that produces that fruit not only in us, but that extends to those around us. That we are life-giving. And we are a blessing to other people. And that's the fruit of an effective knowledge in Jesus. In both physical aspects and material needs, probably more importantly, in the knowledge of God himself. It's both. It's not either or. Verse 9, Peter continues talking about these characteristics. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. These qualities, these characteristics of God are testament. They are a witness to your calling, your election, your salvation. And they provide assurance of it. That God has saved you and called you to his glory and called you to his excellence. Peter writes that we should be all the more diligent to confirm our calling and our election. That is to make it stable, steadfast, not moving, not being moved by every teaching and false teaching that comes along. The philosophies of the world, which he goes further into in chapter 2. And there's absolutely a lot of teaching that goes on in our world formal and informal and all of the different media sources that inundate us every day. 
that we should be rooted in the word of God, that we would not be swayed, we would not be tossed to and fro by all of these teachings that are out there. So if we are rooted in the character of God, firmly in the foundation of the gospel, growing in his virtue and his knowledge, his steadfastness and in godliness and in love and his character, then we will not fall. We will live out our lives in moral excellence according to the character of God, increasing in knowledge that is given to us to transform us and to shape us to be more and more like him. That we might grow in faith and grow in love. And he tells us to practice these things, to do them. And doing them does not confirm them in the sense of it acquires you your election and calling, but it confirms it as a form of, like I said, assurance that you see that God is working in you and you are growing in these characteristics to be more and more like God. And as you grow in them, they continue to grow in you, which encourages and strengthens your faith as well. But Peter says, if you lack these qualities... If you lack them, then you are so nearsighted that you are blind. That is so inwardly focused. Because as you look at all of these characteristics, it encourages us to first look outward towards God and to mimic him, to imitate him, and to follow him. To learn more of him. And then it overflows into how we interact with those around us. But if you don't have these virtues, if they're not growing in you, then you're inward focused. You don't know God. You don't know love. Because you haven't understood it and you haven't experienced in relationship with him. And those are the last two that that Peter really points to in this list of characteristics. Brotherly affection and love. That love is what is foundational. That it is why God sent Christ to die on the cross, to be raised from the dead. That we would walk in relationship with him and to know him. And he did it by his power. It's his spirit and his power that grows in us and grows us in sanctification. He's given us all the tools that we need to help us along the way. He's given us his word. He's given us his spirit. He's done the work for us in Christ. And he's given us the church, this group of people. And the church is vital to your relationship, your growth, and your Christ-likeness as you live. So in virtue, in knowledge, in self-control, steadfastness, godliness, in order to grow in those, we must have the foundation of love and of brotherly affection because they are vital to not only our growth, but our endurance. So one thing that I will continue to do is encourage you as a church to build up your relationships in the church. Take time, set time apart to get in the word together, to be praying together, to hold one another accountable, to have difficult conversations. We talk about discipleship often, disciple making, that is, to help one another look more like Christ and be more dependent upon him. 
men, you have an opportunity today to do that, to at least take steps down that road this afternoon. So I encourage you. I encourage you to look for people. Invite people into your life to have those type of relationships. It is where a lot of growth happens in relationship. You can agree with all of these characteristics, but doing them is much more difficult and much more eye-opening when you actually have to do it in relationship and you have people who are looking out to help you grow in those areas. So we're called to participate in each other's lives, in the mundane, in the day-to-day grind, in the things that we do for fun, in times of suffering, and in times of rejoicing. We need to spend time together in all of those aspects of life. And we also need to spend time in those spiritual practices as well. It's both and. In the word, in prayer, in encouragement, in worship, together. Those two things, there's not a secular, sacred divide. Your whole life is to be given over to God. Your day-to-day, your mundane, and the spiritual aspects of life are intermingled and inseparable. So we are to give our whole life, our whole person over to God. I'm going to transition, I'm going to call the worship team up as we transition over into the Lord's Supper and those that are going to be helping with the Lord's Supper to come forward as well. So we close out with the last few verses, 12 through 15. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as the Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. I think as it applies to Peter, as he devoted himself to reminding the church, reminding one another of the truth, And of the way that we are to live our lives, that we are called to do the same. That you are called to be involved in one another's lives. And we should be constantly reminded of the goodness and the excellence and the greatness of God. And how that should impact the way that we view the world and the way that we interact with the world. So just as Peter was devoted to reminding the church of the truth, we are today as well. So we're going to take the next few minutes... And we're going to remind ourselves of the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross. So in addition to the worship of God through song and the preaching of the word and praying, we remind ourselves through observance of the Lord's Supper as we participate in it together. It's an act of worship in the form of the Last Supper with Jesus and his disciples on the night he was betrayed. So we ask you to join us this morning.